Good morning. Please join with me in our responsive call to worship found in your bulletins. Let us make a joyful noise to the Lord. Let us serve the Lord with gladness and come to the God of singing. The Lord is good. It is God that made us, and we are God's. We are God's people and the sheep of God's pasture. Let us enter God's gates with thanksgiving and God's courts with praise. Give thanks to God. Bless God's name. For the Lord is good, God's steadfast love endures forever, and God's faithfulness to all generations. Let's now pray together as one church family. As we enter into this week of Thanksgiving, we come to you with our entire range of expectations, hopes, disappointments, joys and struggles of our week and of our lives, knowing that you receive it all, cleanse it all, heal and strengthen it all, encourage all of us through every step of our lives. You strengthen us, renew us, and make us whole. Help us to recognize your presence in our lives in this way not just in the good times, but in the challenging times too. And as we give all of that over to the, you this morning and ask you to be with us, help us to be with you. To not just invite you in, but then to give space and time to actually let you in and sit with you, listen to you, and follow your lead. In this hour, may we take this time to pause and feel the wash of your loving spirit around us and within us. And in this way, help us to rededicate our lives to you and to your mission as we listen, pray, rejoice, sing. Give thanks, and as you awaken us to your joy, we pray this in the name of your Son, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth that is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
be seated. Thank you so much for leading us off, Joe, and good morning to everyone. It's great to see you here, and thank you to our musicians for being here. Um, we'll always look forward to you, and you add so much to our service. Really appreciate that. Um, welcome to all of you. Uh, welcome to the people on live stream and uh, to guests and visitors. Let me invite you all, if you could just take the friendship registers that you'll find in the center and outside aisles of your pews, and if you could just grab that, jot your name, say hello. Um, if you're a visitor, if you'd like to be kept in the loop of what is happening here, we would love to include you uh, so that you know everything that is going on and please just share your contact information and we would appreciate that and I think that you will benefit from that. Right after church today, we have our second hour program and um, that is gonna be led by Rosine Chalela. Rosine Chalela is one of our members. You can see details about that and our bulletin, Rosine, is, um, is from Lebanon. Um, her husband is from there. Her whole family is from there. She travels back there um, uh, every single year. And so she's going to be sharing her perspective um, as a neighbor of, of Israel um, uh, regarding the, the Israel-Hamas war. Um, should be very, very enlightening. Um, so we invite you to that. And that's going to be in the library. So we thank Rosine for... Um, for being pre present and for sharing herself with us in this regard. Um, I also want to uh, reiterate thanks that we shared last week to all of our volunteers and helpers of Rooms with a View. Um, last Sunday, that was still in full swing. And um, now, thanks to a tremendous amount of hard work, um, the church is once again <laughs> retransformed back to our normal state. And um, all that's left is our smiling faces thinking about that. And so um, we want to thank you again, everyone who made uh, Rooms of the View happen and the cleanup happen. And it was, uh, again, just a, a terrific, a terrific show and a fundraiser. And um, I also want to thank um, Bridget Schulten and Jim and Haviland Whitcomb providing our fellowship hour refreshments for us. And also for our Thanksgiving uh, Thanksgiving flower arrangement um, by Peggy Moore and Jenny Murphy and Alyssa Ryan. Um, and then also we have many, many announcements in the bulletin. I'm not going to be going over um, every one, so please read through these carefully. Just do want to highlight, though, that um, for those of you who have been visiting the church, if you would like to have Southport Congregational Church become your church home, then at 4 o'clock today we're going to be having a new member session in the library and um, we can get to know each other better and you can find out more about the church and we welcome you to that meetings and if you could please let Laura and me or um, the church office know that would be terrific. Um, and then also one announcement that is not in the bulletin that I want to highlight is on December 3rd, two weeks from now, um, I will be leading a meditation session here in the sanctuary and that's going to be at 4 p.m. So if you want to come and learn to meditate or if you have been a <coughs> practitioner for a long time, either way, um, please come and we'll have a little time of, of peace and quiet and centering and spiritual nourishment um, that, uh, that everybody can use, especially at this time of year and at this time in our uh, with all everything that's happening in the globe and in our community. 
It's always good to settle down and, and get centered once again. So we invite you to that two weeks from today. All right, and now we have some very, very special music for us. young people come on forward for a wonderful there's a nice young person who's coming forward come on Juliana no, here we go. Come on, everybody. I should say that all the young and the young at heart right anybody uh, so uh, let's let's see can she can we make it there we go come on through 
Come on right through. All right. Good morning. Good morning. What's Thursday? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. What do we think about on Thanksgiving? Family. What we're thankful for. Pilgrims. Yep. We're going to be hearing some about that today. We're going to do a little fun exercise, okay, in terms of Thanksgiving. A lot of times on Thanksgiving, we think about really, really big things. What are those big things that we're thankful for? Today, what Laura and I are going to do is we're going to help you think of what are some of the smallest things that you can be thankful for in your life. And I'm going to get you started right now. Everybody, on the count of three, hold your breath. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, let it out. All right, let it out. What's one thing that you can be thankful for that's really small but important? What? Oh. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, oxygen. Oxygen. Oxygen is a very good thing. We're breathing all the time. We might not always think about it. Okay, here's another thing. Close your eyes. Open your eyes. What's another thing you can be thankful for? Light. Light. Thank you. And? Go ahead. Light and sight. Yep. All right. Put your hands over your ears. Let me talk to you like this and see if you can hear me. Okay, go ahead and open your ears. What else can you be thankful for? Hearing. Your hearing, right? What are the other little things that you can think of that you could be thankful for? Kayla? Uh, five senses. What's that? Your five, the rest of your five senses? Yep. Yep. What else? What's that? Having good water to drink. You know, not everybody has that. What else? Clothes. What's that? Having enough food. Having enough Food, yeah, having enough food, right? Right? All the little things, yeah. Shelter. Shelter, sure. Yep. What was that? Shelter. Mm. Shelter, yep. <laughs> All right. Everybody, count of three, stand up. Sit down. <laughs> what else? Your legs. How about your legs? Right? Everybody, grab a hand next to you. Mm-hmm. Somebody next to you. Oh, come on, surely. Even boys can grab a hand of another boy right next to them. That's okay. Come on, (laughs) grab a hand. Grab a hand next to you. Okay. All right. What else? What else can you be thankful for? Friends. Friends? Yep. Hands? Hands? Sure. Sure. Hey, I tell you, I was in a cast not long ago. I'm thankful for fingers that can move, let me tell you. And just to be able to grab something and open up a, a can. Yep. Your feet, 
Yeah. Feet. Your feet, right? Eyelashes that keep sand and dust out of your eyes, right? All the little things, fingernails, so that your hands don't get all banged up, right? The blood going in your body, your heart. What else can we be thankful for? family people People. be lonely without people wouldn't it pretty lonely okay so what's that I'm thankful for my dog Laura's thankful for her dog which spelled backwards is don't do it do not put that in there thankful for music thankful for singing What? Meow. meow. Okay. <laughs> meow. All right. So <clears throat> this Thanksgiving and at all times, there's, there's a little secret to life that this has to do with, and that is happiness. Sometimes, whether you're feeling happy or not, you can't always make yourself happy necessarily, but you can always do one thing that will make you happy, what would that be? Help other people, and? Do things that will make other people happy. Do things that will make other people happy, and what we're doing right now, which is gratitude. And recognizing, always looking around and thinking about the little things, the little things that are in your life that make a huge difference that usually we don't take the time to think about. But every time you can go through and think about the little teeny things in life, then the big things in life are even bigger. And it makes you happy, makes you connected with people, makes you connected with God, makes you connected with your own heart and soul, and will make you happy. All right? And we thank God for that. So let's have a little prayer. Before we head off, okay. Dear God, thank you for everything in my life, for my heart, my hands, my soul, love, for being able to connect with others, for my family, for this church. And the ways we can help. In your spirit, we pray. Amen. You know what I'm thankful for? When I see you pray, seeing your hearts and seeing your souls and seeing your love, that's what I'm thankful for. You. Have a wonderful time this morning in church school, and we'll see you next week.
As we um, continue our service in the spirit of prayer, uh, there are several people um, for whom we want to pray for healing and strength and courage and perseverance in God's spirit and our love and spirit to be with them. First of all, I'm going to actually begin with a little, um, little prayer of thanksgiving, offering that up, and that is um, Derek Yuck, we, it is wonderful to see you here. We have been praying for you and your health and your healing through your, through your surgery. And I uh, just want to say God bless you and our love is with you. And may God's healing continue to be with you. Just really lifts my heart, especially on this Sunday. And if we can play, pray, please, for family and friends of Mark Foster um, following this beautiful celebration of life on Friday, um, as well as the family of... Um, Eric Granenberg, uh, the Fengeli Granenberg family and friends, keep them in your prayers for a memorial service that was also held on Friday here. Um, and then family of Jennifer Lindstrom, whose memorial service was here yesterday. Um, and then also, uh, if we can keep the family and friends of um, uh, a young person, um, uh, Gordon Verrill, who died last week of an accidental nature um, if we can please keep him, actually, and his sister Sarah um, and the Verrill family in our gentle, loving care, um, we would certainly appreciate that. Um, and with that, we also have prayers of thanksgiving and joy for the birth of Elizabeth Reese Lindsley. Lindsay, um, who's the daughter of Jimmy and Libby Welke, Lindsay, um, and the granddaughter of Betsy Welke. So with all of our love and with all of our prayers, let's join now for a moment of silence. Okay. God of all history and all life, we come to you today in prayer for the joyful events. We pray in the midst of our loss. We pray for the big things and we pray for the little things. We come here embracing all who have come before us and paved our way. From the time of the Native Americans and our ancestors, many of whom had lives much harder and simpler than ours. From those who lived more directly off the land with the benefits and with the challenges of that. To our spiritual ancestors, for those who sailed to this land and came here with little more than hope. To those who forged and built our country with a vision of freedom and justice for all. And now, as we continue this journey, we do so for ourselves and we do so for those who will follow, for whom we are paving the way. May you help us to always remain mindful 
in this regard of your highest calling for us as individuals, as a nation, and as people of God, no matter where we live. That we may put people first and not things first. May you help us to respect and care for your land. Help us respect the power of your might and your creation and not be enamored with our temporary dominance. May you help us to be considerate, to pause, to consider this precious life that can pass so quickly. May you help us to experience a prayer with the sunset and the gift of one more day with a sunrise. The gift of today and now. These precious minutes of our life. May you help us to notice your love and your presence and your gifts in all things and at all times, God. And help us to care for those along the way who are hurting and lonely and without an advocate. May you watch over all those who are traveling this week. May all get safely to their destinations. And for those who are hospitalized or in prison or are serving in the armed forces or who are in war zones and either can't get home or whose homes and land are being destroyed. For those who are grieving a recent loss or one from long ago, we pray for your loving spirit and our loving spirit to be in all of this and to be with those in need as we lift our gratitude and give our lives and give our love to you. In your spirit, this we pray. Amen. thanks, opening our hearts, opening our awareness, being sensitive to all the gifts around us and within us, being sensitive to our blessings, how incredibly blessed we are, how incredible abundant our lives are, to live out of this abundance and not out of this illusion of need and deficit. There's the thanks, and then what comes out of that is a natural reaction. God has given to us, God has given to me, and so my God, what a gift it is to be able to share that 
and give to others, creating even more gratitude. In the spirit of thanks and giving, our morning offering will now be shared by you, received, and then shared once again through your love.
let's join together in our prayer of dedication. God of all blessings, we lovingly share our gifts because our thanksgiving is a way of life and faith, and not just a holiday. Our giving is the expression of gratitude and joy. With the Spirit, may you accept our gifts of love and thanks, and make them a gift of your love and blessings for the benefit of others. Amen. Good morning. Our scripture this morning is short. It comes from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And so let's just take a moment, read it all together. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Amen. So these words are what Paul believes is the equation to a happy life. Rejoice, pray, give thanks, continually, all the time. This is God's will. For us to have a grounded faith, to be, have a life grounded in faith, we need to have joy and prayer, and gratitude. Now, the founding members of the Congregational Church knew these words from St. Paul, and they lived by these words. They also just happened to be the second group of settlers in the New World after Jamestown. They were, of course, the pilgrims. And I'm going to tell you and talk to you a little bit about their story, but to remember this story respectfully, we need to bear in mind that there was a vibrant and intricate culture that existed on this land long before any Europeans ever arrived. It's estimated that there were around 10 million people already living here and thriving here on this land when that first ship landed in 1492. Today, our government recognizes 574 federally uh, recognized tribes, but there were probably many other smaller bands that existed back in the 1600s. The Native American culture was, and still tries to be, one of living off of the land, of understanding that every living creature and every plant was a gift from God, the great creator, and was there for them to use, but not to abuse. In those times, and still in many indigenous cultures today, spiritual practices are the start of every day. And they are also exactly what St. Paul was talking about. Native Americans often begin every morning with a dance. Rejoice always. They sing morning songs of gratitude to the creator, to the sun, and for all the bounty of their lands. Pray continually. And they understand and have a recognition of the fact that they are just visitors on this land 
and that all belongs to God, and it was never their own to be owned. Give thanks in all circumstances. And as we know, the European culture marched itself westward and eventually displaced the indigenous people from their lands and led us to the difficult situation we live in today with the reservation, fraught with issues of one culture trying to be wiped out by another, poverty, hunger, and there's much to be said about all of that, but it's Thanksgiving Sunday. And so I'm asking you today to do something else, to go with me on a journey of the past, to hear the details of Plymouth Colony, direct from firsthand accounts. And through those, I would like you to reframe Thanksgiving in a way that celebrates the intentions of that first Thanksgiving celebration. That without the friendship and the grace and the enormous generosity of the Native Americans, those English religious refugees would not have survived. So let's begin. It's 1531. Henry VIII is king of England, a very devout Catholic, but a very questionable man. Having tired of his wife, Catherine of Aragon, and having become enamored with the young Anne Boleyn, he asks his very good friend, Pope Clement, to let him have a divorce so he can marry Anne. The Pope says, no. Henry gets furious. He's going to show the Pope. He leaves the Catholic Church. He makes Catholicism in England against the law. He creates a new Protestant church, calling it the Church of England, or what we know as the Episcopal Church. And he wanted his new church to be as similar to the Catholic Church as he could make it, but with one huge difference. Instead of the Pope having all the divine authority, King Henry himself and all the monarchs to follow would be the head of the church. As you can imagine, this didn't go over particularly well with some of the people. Especially within those hundred years, Catholicism was, was illegal, then Bloody Mary made it legal, then others made it illegal. So the English went back and forth as to what religion is what. And within a hundred years, that same kind of corruption and control over faith and practice that had plagued the Catholic Church was rampant in the Church of England. People began to take action against the king and his church. Two of these groups were aptly named, the Puritans and the Separatists. And while the Puritans only wanted to purify the Church of England from the corruption, the Separatists believed that couldn't be done. Reform would not be possible. So they separated themselves entirely from the Church of England. Of course, this didn't make King James very happy. If his people could defy him as their spiritual leader, they could possibly defy him as their political leader. So life in England became difficult for the separatists. It eventually became illegal to be a separatist. So they moved en masse to a freer and more tolerant place, to Holland. And it's there that they created churches that emphasized the Bible as the primary source of authority, 
They establish the right and responsibility of each congregation to determine its own affairs. These two concepts led to, the shared, led to shared leadership and is to what is known as the congregational style, the organizational structure that we still maintain today in Southport Congregational Church. Jump ahead, 1609. Groups of these separatists have moved to Holland. They're allowed to worship freely. They love it there. They thrive for about 10 years until they notice something that they really don't like. Their children are becoming Dutch. Gone is the English accent, the English traditions, the English way of life. So they decide to leave and search for a place that they can have this religious autonomy and still be English. And they hear that back in England, there are companies who are paying people to relocate across the sea to America. And they decide to do that. Here they, they figure out they can be free from religious intolerance. Here they can worship God freely and let their lives be a testament to their faith. So they return to England on August 5th, 1620. They sail for Virginia on the ship the Mayflower. Only 44 of those 102 passengers were separatists, 19 men, 11 women, 14 children. The other passengers were just people who wanted to start over in a new land. And William Bradford, one of the community leaders on board the Mayflower, wrote this famous passage which gave the separatists their new name, the name that we know them by. He wrote, so we left that goodly and pleasant city which had been our resting place for nearly 12 years. But we know we are pilgrims and looked not much on those things but lifted our eyes to the heavens, our dearest country, the, and quieted our spirits. They looked to God, the entity that they were most devoted to, and they found their peace. Now, I don't think that Bradley actually meant those words literally, that they found their peace on the Mayflower. The ship's log that tells us that besides the 102 humans, there were some hens, some goats, two dogs, and plenty of rats. Creaking timbers, flapping sails, rats scratching, hens clucking, children crying, sailors shouting orders, bilge water gurgling, people being seasick, sailors swearing. Noise was a constant companion for those people. And I don't believe there could have been much peace. One person wrote of their experience, there was not one single spot on the entire Mayflower ship where you could experience silence or a moment of solitude. And we can understand that, especially if we think about the size of the Mayflower. You ready? The Mayflower is 25 feet wide and 106 feet long. To give you the visual, our sanctuary is 50 feet wide. So if I stand here and go on one side, that's your 25 feet. 106 feet happens to be the identical amount of space, and I really have to wonder if this is coincidental or not, from the back of that wall to the wall of the original church 
in Fellowship Hall, the wall of the kitchen. Keep in mind, 102 people. That gives each person the space, personal space, relatively the exact same size of one of our vignettes at Rooms of the View. That is coincidental. And yet the ship's log also tells us that every day, 44 pilgrims, as they were now called, went out on deck, sang psalms, recited prayers, and rejoiced. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks all the time in all situations. This is a testament of your faith. So for 66 days, the Mayflower sailed, and on November 11, 1620, they saw land. The journey had ended, and they were in Virginia. Surprise. Welcome to your new England. Then that would become Massachusetts. They dropped their sails off the coast, and some men took a small boat, and legend has it, when they stepped out of their boat, their feet landed on a glacial stone that they named Plymouth Rock. Now, my sister is a teacher in Massachusetts, and they take their second graders to Plymouth Park every year, and they show them the stone. Anyone seen it? It's like in a little thing, right? Like this big, says 1620 on it. They stand there, they tell the story of the pilgrims in that moment. And one little boy says, no wonder they all died. That stone is so small to live on for a winter. <laughs> winter did come quickly upon those pilgrims, and they knew that they had to find a place to settle, and they hoped to find a place that they could build some shelter and get off the Mayflower. But the New England winter had other plans for them. Rain and icy winds and snows kept the passengers living below deck. Every day, though, when it was clear, some men went out to explore the land. And on one of these trips, while they were camping out on the shore, they heard a strange cry. They were frightened and confused, and so what did they do? They fired their guns randomly out into the woods in all directions. Early the next morning, they heard the cries again. But this time, they could see up on a hill, Indians standing in the distance. The Indians shot arrows and then left. Fortunately, no one was hurt in all of that, but the pilgrims retreated very quickly to the Mayflower. But a couple days later, after they'd garnered up their strength and courage again on December 9th, a small group of them had gone ashore and they found abandoned cornfields and a large forest with huge trees for building homes and a number of freshwater streams. They had found their settlement. And like good Europeans, they planted a stick and said, this will be Plymouth Colony. So now remember, this is December. The year is almost over. There was no Thanksgiving feast with the Indians that year. As a matter of fact, the pilgrims spent most of that winter on the Mayflower. The New England cold also took its toll, and many of them got very sick. By the time spring arrived, half the ship's passengers had died. Sometimes in the ship's log it says as many as three in a single day. So come spring, there were just 50 people who disembarked off of the Mayflower. 
But despite this, the struggling, hungry, scared pilgrims awoke every morning, praising God, singing psalms, and rejoicing, says the ship's log. They spent time every morning making their actions a testament of their faith. Now, at this point, the, the uh, Bradford writes, their prayers were simple. For food and water and shelter. And they were not prayers of colonization. Which might be why on March 17, 1621, when an Indian warrior walked boldly and confidently into Plymouth Colony, they let him in without any resistance. And much to the surprise of the pilgrims, this Indian began to speak in an English dialect. They learned his name was Samoset, and he was a chief from the Wampanoag tribe in what would become Maine. He told them that he had learned some English from fishermen who came to fish off of Mohegan Island. And then the next thing he did was to ask for a beer, which the pilgrims proudly gave them, and I think that might just have been the first Congregational Church cocktail party. <laughs> they talked well into the night. He left the next morning with a few presents from the pilgrims and returned a day later with what Edward Winslow described as five tall, proper men with three-inch black stripes painted down the middle of their faces. Samoset told the pilgrims of another Indian named Tisquantum, who they, the pilgrims, nicknamed Squanto. But Tisquantum was a member of the Patuxet tribe of the Wampanoags. He had been captured as a young man along the main coast in 1605 by Captain George Weymouth, who took him to England, where he kept him for nine years. When he was allowed to return in 1614, he came back with someone whose name you might know, John Smith. But, unfortunately for Tisquantum, he was captured again, sold into slavery, this time in Spain. He escaped, walked into a monastery, and was taken in by those monks who protected them. Five years later, he left to go back to his home in Maine. But when he arrived there, he found that it had been wiped out by the smallpox epidemic, leaving him the sole survivor, surviving Patuxet Indian. So he went to live with Samoset's Wampanoag tribe. Now, go back to March 22nd, when Samoset brought Tisquantum to meet with the pilgrims. Tisquantum immediately knew that these people were sick, that they were dying, and that they needed help or they would not survive. He looked around at their food stores. He knew that they did not have enough food to survive and they definitely would not survive another winter and they hadn't even started planting crops. So when he finished his beer and his assessment of the pilgrims, Tisquantum simply walked back into the woods without a word. But hidden from the pilgrims' view was the great Wampanoag chief, Massasoit, and 90 of his warriors. Tisquantum reported back to Massasoit what was happening, explained that the pilgrims were too weak and too sick and too helpless to pose any threat, and asked him to help them. Massasoit agreed. 
He went back with Tisquantum to Plymouth Colony. The colonists welcomed Chief Massasoit into one of their unfinished houses, and this time shared with Massasoit and Tisquantum some of their own homemade moonshine. You know where I'm going. The second Congregational Church <laughs> cocktail party and perhaps even the first progressive dinner. <laughs> Winslow reported afterward that Massasoit, quote, was a very lusty man in his best years, an able body, grave of countenance, and spare of speech. He wore deerskin shawls and leggings, had covered his face with bug-repelling oil and reddish-purple dye. Around his neck hung a pouch of tobacco, a long knife, and a thick chain of the prized white shell beads called wampum. Now, the pilgrims had barely survived the previous winter. They were haggard and weak. And Massasoit made a decision that these people only desired peace, survival, and perhaps a trading relationship. For his part, Winslow told Massasoit that he was sure that King James of England would see him as a friend and an ally, making Massasoit believe that he would have the powerful English as his ally. They agreed to a treaty. Massasoit invited a pilgrim delegation to meet him at his place. And Miles Standish and Isaac Allerton volunteered for the adventure. And when they went and arrived, Massasoit gave them nuts and tobacco as gifts, and the pilgrims gave him, not moonshine or beer, something better, a kettle of peas. On their second trip to visit Massasoit, they reaffirmed their peace with one another, and Massasoit agreed to send to Squantum to help the pilgrims learn to farm, how to hunt in these woods, how to fish for cod and bass, how to dig clams, and how to catch lobster. And it is true that in thanks for his help that fall, the pilgrims invited Tisquantum and Chief Massasoit to come to Plymouth Colony to enjoy a meal and to show off and to share all that they had learned from the Native Americans. But it wasn't quite the bountiful table that you see in the pictures. Edward Winslow again wrote, our wheat did prove well, and God be praised, we had a good increase of Indian corn. Our barley, indifferently good. But our peas, not worth gathering. Some of the men were thus employed in affairs abroad, but others were here exercising and fishing about cod and bass and other fish of which they took good store and of which each family had their portion. All the summer there was no want, and now began to come and store the waterfowl, which as winter approached, the place did abound. We all know that, right? And besides waterfowl, there was great store of wild turkeys, of which they took many, and besides them, venison. We had about a peck of meal a week to a person, or now, since harvest, Indian corn to that same proportion. We began to gather in the small harvest we had and to fit up our houses and dwellings against winter, being well recovered in health and strength, 
and had all things in good plenty. Our harvest being gotten in, our governor invited the Indians to come to share a meal so we might, after a special manner, rejoice together after we had gathered the fruits of our labors. Many of the Indians coming amongst us and the rest with their greatest king, Massasoit, some 90 men with whom for three days we entertained and feasted. And the Indians went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed upon our governor and upon the captain and others. And although it be not always so plentiful as it was this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want. The first Thanksgiving celebration. It was a harvest meal, a time of literally giving thanks to God and to the Native Americans, giving thanks for their successful pilgrimage on the Mayflower, thanks for the friendship and help from the Wampanoag, thanks for the harvest, which they believed God had given to them to show how pleased God was with them. And they gave thanks for their survival. It was a celebration they wanted to share with the people who had made it possible. This beautiful narrative of the first Thanksgiving is a story of gratitude, of friendship, of humility, of generosity, of compassion, of unity, and of grace. And sitting here today, we know this story didn't end that well. And a lot of that had to do with the influx of the Puritans into the New World, who were never fans of the Native Americans. But our lesson for now is that we need to continue to see what they saw. We need to continue to see what can be done when we see the needs of one another and help. When we listen to the ideas and traditions of one another, with open hearts and minds, accepting them, not trying to change them, and learning from them. When we look at what can be done when we spend our lives rejoicing in all that we have and in sharing with others when we can. When we pray for one another, not just on Sundays, but on a daily basis, holding our friends and our perceived enemies in the same light of love, when we accept that each of us is on a personal pilgrimage of faith, a journey marked by unique experiences, challenges, and moments of divine connection, when we stop and thank God for those moments of divine grace in our lives, when we have blessings we cannot explain, and when we stop and thank God when things are tough and painful for reasons we cannot explain, being able to be grateful in all things, like those Mayflower voyagers, like those starving pilgrims, like those 50 survivors who mourned the deaths of their loved ones, when we can be grateful amidst all of that, that stands as a testament of the transformative power of faith. So when we choose joy, even in times of sorrow, when we choose to accept help when we need it, rather than push people away, when we see individuals rather than groups of people, that stands as a testament 
of the transformative power of our faith. And when we choose tolerance over bigotry, love over hate, community over separateness, that stands as a testament of the transformative power of our faith. And we choose to use our words for prayer instead of insults, when we choose to use our humility rather than our egos, that stands as a testament of the transformative power of our faith. So this Thanksgiving, may you rejoice fully, pray earnestly, and offer up gratitude freely as often as you can so that your life stands as a testament of the transformative power of your faith, and so that you too may receive the full benefits of being pilgrims of faith. Happy Thanksgiving. Amen. As we go out into our world, into the life that God has given us, into the life that we have created out of those gifts that God has given to us, may God be in our head and in our understanding, full comprehension. May God be in our eyes and in our seeing and perceiving. May God be in our ears and in our careful listening. May God be in our heart and in all of our loving. 
May God be in our hands and in our embracing and lifting up. May God be in our whole beings as beings of light and love and courage and strength and justice. As we receive, may we give with great thanks and great love. Now and always, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.